and then as years went on, it just started becoming a bit draining. So like my typical day would start off at like 6 a.m. and I wouldn't get done at 8 o'clock at night. Holy um, I, like Now, with that being said, that wouldn't be like I'm seeing clients every hour on that hour. There are like gaps in the middle of the day. Um, but it just became a grind. Like it, it also wasn't conducive to have a family and come home to my wife and kid being dead tired at 8 o'clock, just have to get back up and do it again. Um, so yeah, bit of a grind. But, you know, within that, because the reason I ask it is so many strength coaches in college, they, they maybe have that six to eight life in college. Mm -hmm. So they look to go private to get away from that. How did you manage it? How, like, what would be some of your advice that you'd give to listeners out there? So I would say, like, if you're going to go into the private route and, like, this is your first time ever doing strength and conditioning, try to get as many clients as possible uh, at first that way you just get a huger bandwidth of um, people that you can work with um, once you start getting good start to really be strict with your time like there it was at a point in time where geez like I would be working with like old grandmas and soccer moms from 6 to 12 I would have a two-hour break and then I would have middle school and high school athletes coming in from 3 30 to 9 o'clock um, after a while and just speaking with my wife and also talking to the managers that I've had, I, you know, really expressed like this is not conducive for my health or for my family and I need to try to limit my time and so how can I maximize the hours that I have? Um, so rather than doing like one-on-ones, I really strived and pushed to get group classes and once you get group, group classes, you get paid well so you can maximize the amount of people that are in your, your, or your group. Um, and also reduce the amount of time that you're working on the floor. So um, the last place that I was at, I was probably averaging like maybe five or four hours like actually um, coaching, but the rest of the day I got to be home with my kid and take him to swim class and do what I wanted to do. So like once you, starting off, try to get as many clients as possible, and then once you start getting good at working with a lot of people, really, really be strict with your time. That's like my biggest advice for anybody. How did you go about handling that? Because you mentioned like, okay, grandmas and soccer moms, and you mentioned like a wide range of people. How did you go about structuring those groups to be conducive for you time-wise, but also do your due diligence as a coach training them? So big thing, like for my adult people, they want to come in like anywhere between the hour of like six to eight o'clock. So like any time pre-work. So I would try my best to get people that are close to the same skill level or fitness goals, whatever the case may be, in those blocks of hours. And then once I was done those two hours in the morning, um, I put a huge block in the middle of my day to take my kid to swim class, whatever the case may be, and then come back for uh, post-school stuff. So I would get back at like 3.30 and do my high school groups and then try to see if there was any other kid that needed to get training done, whether it be a one-on-one -on -one or um, some other team training that needed to be done, but I try to mark it off at six o'clock. Um, yeah. And within your team training, were you doing the same process or was it like, hey, based off of when a kid was or wasn't playing a sport that they could show up or were you doing your training solely based upon the skill level of the athlete and the sport they played? No. So like the for private sector, it's a little bit different. So like you, one, like you're not really going to have the opportunity to like, um, at least this is my perspective. This is what I've dealt with in the past. I did not have the opportunity to like separate kids based on skill. Skill like, if 
this kid had to come in at five o'clock and this is his first time ever lifting and he's like 100 pounds and I have like a D1 lacrosse commit, I have to maximize that hour because that's what the parent paid for. They pay for that hour. So what ends up happening is you just have to be fluid with the periodization in your programming and making sure that the D1 commit gets what he needs to get done and also the younger dude gets what he needs to get done well. Um, so yeah, that's been like what I've dealt with in the past in the private sector. <clears throat> How'd you go about handling that working on the floor with such such differences and what do you recommend to anybody out there that's like, okay, man, he's speaking to me right now. Like I got that going on, you know, yes. because like you said, you got to take what you can get when people and parents are paying for it. So what did you do and what would be your strategy if you could kind of do it again to anybody that's listening and, and this is hitting home to them? Taking a quick break from the show, everybody. Promises will take less than 15 seconds. Friendly reminder, go ahead, hit that subscribe button below. It helps us out and it helps you out by being notified whenever we have new content come out. So hit that subscribe button. And with this, let's get back to the show. So like big thing is just like you want to make sure that everybody is hitting their big rocks, right? Like no matter what, like, like the D1 commit and the younger dude, they're all going to benefit from some level of some general strength training stuff, some level of speed power work and some level of movement variability. How I went about it, I would have everybody starting together off. We would do our speed and power work. So we sprint, we jump, we throw, we throw med balls. Once we got into the weight room, if I had a squat pattern program for that day, maybe my D1 commit is doing a safety bar squat. And I have my younger guy, this is his first time ever coming in, we're doing a goblet squat variation. Um, so like the movement stays the same, the way that you load the movement is going to be your, your difference there. Um, once kids start to get, and then you'll have this problem too. Like, like you'll get a kid that's like, Hey man, I really, really want to try that safety bar progression is like, no, like you got to know where you are kid. And then this bar is 65 pounds. You're a hundred. This is going to crumble you. Like we got years and years to progress you. He's going to go off to college. So like making sure that kids understand why they're doing things, I think is important too. Um, like it can be sometimes I I've, I've seen it like it can be depressing for some kids who think they are ready for um, the bigger movements or they think they're ready for, you know, whatever the college kid is doing. You're you're, you're not. Um, but that's OK. We just we're making sure that we are, you know, trying to progress your athletic athletic capabilities for the long term <clears throat> within you know, those different structures, how often did you have any of your college athletes or high school athletes that you were training in the private sector mm -hmm. that you had to do movements with them to prepare them for what would be coming in college? And it was like, all right, say you don't believe in doing um, just regular back squats or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're like, hey, they know that they're going to get tested on it day one. How did you go about handling your own personal philosophy being a private sector coach and doing your part for your client? So like, to be honest, I, I, I did not do that. Um, and I would just explain to them, like, listen, if you're a generally strong person, like, and we load you in a squat variation, if you get a bar on your back yeah, there'll be some variance to it, but you'll be able to do that move. And it's not going to be like your first time ever. And you're not going to know what to do. Um, and a lot of my kids got strong. So like, I don't think they had like the, um, fear factor of trying a different movement out for their first time. Um, like case in point, I had a girl, she's been with me for a year and a half. She started off, she's been ready to go to school at Shenandoah. Um, we've been training for a year and a half. She's up to a, what, 315 shot bar deadlift um, for a few reps. She can search a squat 185 for a few reps. Like she's wow. ready. Um, so 
we've never done any back squatting variations just yet, but I'm not concerned about her trying to do that for the first time. Oh, that's interesting that you're like, hey, you know what? We're going to get good at some of these other random things. And like, yeah, sure, you're going to put the bar on your back, but you've handled heavy you load and whatnot. Yeah. Like, I, like, just because you haven't had a, like, once again, just because you haven't had a bar on your back squatting doesn't mean you've never squat with heavy load before. You're just doing it in a different capacity. Oh, it's an interesting thought process with that. And uh, one of the last questions I'll have on this private sector stuff is, how did you go about assessing their performance progression with them to kind of prove like, Hey, you signed me, you asked me to do X. Here's proof that I did it with you. And maybe you didn't. And if you didn't, what would be some things that you recommend to people listening out there? Right. So like for me, like just to make sure that kids are doubting and making sure that they know they're doing, like they're progressing. Well, we had three like tests that we had by the grace of God, we had fly or timing gates. So we would do our main main movement would be flying 10. So build 10, fly 10s. If they saw improvements on those numbers, then by default, we know that we're getting some speed gain as well as some strength gain as well because in order for you to move faster, you have to produce force into the ground at a rapid rate. Um, outside of that, we would do vertical jumps and broad jumps. And also like with those movements, we also train them almost every single, not every single day, but like at least twice per week. So even if we weren't testing it, we were doing it. And so I'm not sure if the kids realize it, but like they just got really, really good at those movements. Um, and then by default, they got, they progressed or they got better at them. Um, that's not to say like it was just a standard, very standard sprint or, or a standard built-in fly 10 or a standard just jump mat we would do variations of it but the main thing was the same and they just saw improvements with their with their um kpis per se so how about your uh your older population were you having grandma and mom doing fly tens too or were they they weren't they weren't just gripping and ripping doing their fly tens and like trap bar deadlift hell no so like with them they saw improvement when they felt that they felt good like um, when your soccer mom is telling you like, Hey, I feel good picking up my kid and walking around. Like that's how they know they're, they're getting their improvements. And not only that, like, obviously everybody wants to look better, especially in the general pop world. So if they start seeing physical improvements and they feel like they're moving better, they, that's where you start seeing progression with them. And that's when they really want to keep coming back. Um, I think you can flash like, Oh yeah, you did a two twenty five pound goblet squat. Now you're doing a 50. That's great. But like. I don't think that really means anything to a general soccer mom. Like she just wants to make sure that she looks good and she can, you know, play with her kid.